0: Century. You're listening to the edge. Everything fast fishing coming to you worldwide from Megaware Keel Guard Studios.
1: I like Bass Edge, and I cannot lie, no other brother can de- uh, What's up, Aaron? Sorry getting off on a little crazy beginning here this morning, but happy to bring the listeners another great episode here on May the 1st of Bass Edge Radio.
2: Well, Kurt, it's uh, glad to see you back in good spirits. Uh, I was a little <laughs> concerned there for a second, but you did a good job of bringing that around. Uh, it must be because you've got the MegaWare Guard has their new website up and part of that is the apparel so it must be that you're sporting the uh, the new apparel look I guess perhaps with megaware.
1: I try to sport it as much as possible they've been such a fantastic partner but yeah the merchandising section on a whole new level with megaware. Um I'm, I'm very fond of the trucker hat uh, totally dig the bold logo shirt that comes in red and, um, and they just got a lot of great products decals all kinds of stuff so Bass Edge Nation be sure you check out the uh, Merchandising section of MegaWare, and uh, of course, Aaron, you, they can purchase all the products on the website as well.
2: Yes, and uh, you know, you were talking about the uh, the quality of the merchandise, of course, that's consistent with the quality and the functionality of the rest of their products. And like you mentioned, Kurt, uh, so many things to look at there from the Scuff Buster to the first do it yourself keel protector, you know, the Skeg Guard, the new battery guard, the list goes on and on, but definitely. I encourage all Bass Edge listeners to go to keelguard.com or megaware.com, whichever resonates with you. It will take you to the same place. And they have been with us since all the way back from episode one and we are now on episode 327
1: crazy man that's a lot of episodes man hopefully folks have been able to catch up on some old bass edge radio but we've all had a lot of chances to catch up on some old things or maybe the honey do list but uh we're gonna catch up right now on a new tackle tip brought to us by protecttheharvest.com Today's ProtectTheHarvest.com Tackle Tip with SLW Tour Pro Circuit Angler Matt Becker.
3: Hey guys, coming at you today. I want to give you a quick tip on throwing your soft plastic jerk baits. So, a lot of times it's a trouble to hook up properly with the soft plastic jerk baits. So, I've come up with a solution with that. So, you're going to take a Pro Car TK180 5 watt. So, this is basically a straight shank drop shot hook designed for a drop shot worm. So you're gonna take this hook and uh, rig it straight down through the back, almost like you're rigging up your fluke on a jig head. And you're gonna pull this hook all the way through. Gonna leave an exposed hook on your jerk bait. You're gonna get the same great action as always, throw in your weightless jerkbait, and uh, you got an exposed hook, so you're going to catch all those fish that bite. So give this tip a try. Hopefully it helps you land a few more bass, throw in your uh, soft plastic jerkbait.
1: Great tip, Matt. Thanks for supplying this episode's ProtectTheHarvest.com Tackle Tip
0: nitro performance bass boats get pro level performance with the nitro z18 the official boat of major league fishing The z18 with its nimble handling and versatility sports many of the features in the larger boats in the line like a guardian live well a heavily insulated cooler dual eight foot rod storage and our smooth and fast nvt hull every nitro boat is laid out to do one thing very well catch fish Enormous front decks up to 45 square feet on the Z21 allow maximum mobility when battling unruly bass and feature low-profile gunnels for ease of skipping, pitching, flipping, or landing fish. Nitro Performance Bass Boats, pure fishing machines.
1: Aaron, before we went to the break, you know, we were talking about having some time to do some extra things, all kinds of things, actually. So, you know, I, I had a couple of DIYs, replaced my hot water heater. Um, I know you've been able, which which is great that this time has given us to spend more family quality time, right? And uh, I know you've been able to do that. Tell us a story about Malia. Come on with that
2: yeah so it, you know one of those i hate to admit but uh she has not gotten to uh, go fishing as much as her older sister malia is of course eight years old maya is 16 maya having right. grown up on table rock lake for about the first uh oh 12 years of her life and anyway long story short we decided she wanted to go fishing her birthday party got canceled with friends as a result of the current conditions we find ourselves so i decided hey let's sneak away for a day took the girls we uh hooked up went to table rock lake one of the those deals, where because of now where I live, that lake is about four hours away from my house. So we drove right. eight hours to fish for four, got on the water at one o'clock in the <laughs> afternoon. right? Lake's seven feet high. Uh, so wow. kind of set the stage. But it was a gorgeous day and uh, pretty much tied on a uh, Ned rig and a swim bait and uh, looked for the bait. And essentially, Maya caught some really good fish. I mean, some three pounders. Malia caught her first smallmouth bass, first bass, really. Uh, using a Ned rig on a full scale six foot rod so to see her with this giant rod out there and and fighting these fish was quite fun we had about 30 minutes left Gert and uh, there was some fish that was schooling in the back of this pocket Maya made a cast you know caught the typical 13 inch uh, schooler and uh, Malia reared back and made a cast with a swim bait and it bit and of course it pulled her rod down using eight pound test now mind you I have the drag set pretty light and Malia like the rod goes down into the water. And she's like, dad, I got one. And I said, okay. So I said, you know, reel it in. I was not helping her at all until the fish jumped. Then I saw how big this fish was. <laughs> and I was holding about three feet up and kind of in the middle of a rod. Cause I mean, she just could not handle this fish, but she was right. reeling and fighting it. We got it up. It got tangled around the uh, swim ladder on the back of the Nitro Z21. Right. Managed to navigate that. You know, I would have lost this fish five times over. Then it comes up, of course, I've got the net trying to net it. I hit the fish with the net. Anyway, long story short, I get the the fish in as soon as it gets in the net, the bait pops out. We weigh the fish. It's 6.38 pounds, so her second bass ever was 6.38 pounds, and I mean the, the video and stuff we had on social media, but it was a fantastic trip, just a fantastic trip.
1: Well, I, I saw the pictures. It looked amazing. Maya, you know, huge grin on her face. Malia, of course, a big grin on her face, and man, it was just some great photos, and it was great to see Maya catching some fish. I, I know she enjoys to get out and, and hang out and kind of relive some of her younger days when she spent more time down there at Table Rock and then of course Malia having that uh, awesome memory. Yeah, for sure. That, I, I didn't, didn't appreciate the forget. text
3: though, like from you
2: and, and all of my buddies <laughs> telling me that the girls needed to fill in for me at tournaments that they right. they or, probably do better.
1: <laughs> or at least you can put them as, as your partner. You know, That's you right. That's key right. Term so now you'll actually have an anchor fish for your back. That's right. That's
2: right. So <laughs> I understand uh, I've seen some, speaking of pictures uh, and you being on the water, you've been able to get out and do a little fishing there on Amistad.
1: Yeah, you know, with all the tournaments at a complete halt for everybody, um, I've been able to spend more time at the house this spring, which uh, haven't gotten as much time over the last uh, couple years to spend the spawn in the spring out here on Lake Amistad. But let me tell you, Aaron, the lake is firing. It's fishing better than it has in the last two years. Probably the last really great time frame for Amistad was spring of eighteen. And this year is is one I wouldn't say for the record books, but it is fishing amazingly well, catching some quality size, you know, four to six pound fish, and and even some seven and eight pounders coming in. And there's been more double digits caught by my buddies that have spent a lot of time out on the lake this year than I can remember in the last four or five years. So it's phenomenal, but we're catching them on, you know, these fish right now uh, at Lake Amistad, you know, here, obviously we're, we're taping for our May show and we're at the very last end period of April, but over the last couple weeks has been the last phase or two of the spawn and catching some bigger fish on reaction baits. and and These fish moving up from still in that pre-spawn and moving up around the nest there, they're reacting to some bigger uh, reaction baits. That's how you're catching the bigger fish. You can catch 60 fish a day with plastics and move around, but if you want to catch the bigger bass for Amistad over the last several weeks, it has definitely been more of a reaction and bite now, and, and I've already seen now that we're right at the beginning of May, the topwater bite is really starting to heat up, getting into that post spawn activity. Shad are starting to spawn, so uh, it's still a fun time to fish out there. You know, some of the fish aren't as thick as they were, you know, a couple weeks ago, but uh, still catching a lot of great fish. And it has been a ton of fun lately. So well, that's good to see. Yeah, it's awesome. I absolutely love this lake, Aaron. I, I can't tell you how diverse and how it morphs constantly. And I think that's what makes it so much fun. You know, it's constantly changing water levels, where the cover's at, how you've got to attack the fishing. So, so it keeps keeps everything fresh and, and it's a lot of fun. i tell you what, Aaron, what we do have that is fresh is a guest that we have not had on the show for a long time, but a guest that that i know bass edge listeners love to hear from you either you know you're either a huge fan of this guy or this guy to me he's not abrasive but i think some people feel he's slightly abrasive but uh, nonetheless stay tuned we've got a a lister guest for you here on
3: bass edge radio hang tight this is FLW Tour Pro, Brian Lapmer. This is Bass Pro Tour Angler, Odd Defoe. Hey everybody, this is Pro Angler, Kevin Short. This is BASS Elite Series Professional, Kelly Jay. I'm FLW Tour Angler, Scott Ashmore. This is Professional Bass Angler, Brad Hallman. And you're listening to Bass Edge Radio.
0: You know the importance of protecting your investments. So why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat, Keel Guard. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive Contoured Edge and patented technology. Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders offering the best keel protection in the industry also from Megaware keelguard, skegguard, flexstep pro and pontoon guard so give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick, Megaware keelguard.
1: One of the biggest names in the sport is a guest on today's show. He's wild yet tame, he's loud yet quiet. He's everything you think, but everything you don't. Happy to have with us MLF Bass Pro Tour Angler, Mike Iconelli.
2: Mike, thanks for making it on this episode of Bass Edge Radio.
3: Oh, you're welcome. Thanks
2: for having me, guys. Well, Mike, like Kurt said, we are thrilled to have you on the show again, but uh, it's been a long time. 2012 was the last time we had you on the show, wow. and since then, obviously, you've been very busy. Uh, a lot has changed in your media arsenal from Bass University and Bass UTV to Ike live. And you recently, congratulations, by the way, hit 100 episodes on Ike live. How are you enjoying that process? And what are your favorite aspects about those?
5: Yeah, it's, it's been great. Uh, You know, what you guys have done, basically, we sort of, you know, picked it up where you guys started, you know, Uh, reaching people through new means, podcasting is a great way to do it, you know, and, and uh, through Ike live, we've really been able to hit, A lot of people, you know, we keep our premise real simple. You know, Bash University is our instruction arm. But with Ike Live, it's neat because we get to explore some other avenues. We get to, you know, talk to people in the fishing industry about other stuff, you know, their life, their hobbies. It's been neat. We're six years in. We're still learning. We're still trying to get better at doing the show. but the guests we've had, the stories we've heard over the years, it's been awesome. And, you know, we've hit the gamut too. We've had shows that you can't stop laughing. We've had (laughs) shows that, we've had shows that honestly, like you get teary eyed and we've had shows where it's very controversial, you know, and everything in between. And it's been fun. It doesn't feel like work at all. When we do a Live show, it feels like I'm hanging out with a bunch of my buddies talking about fishing and drinking beer. And that's, that's really what we want that show to feel like to people watching and listening
1: yeah and, and, and it does it, it, it comes across that way and it's a great avenue to uh, touch I think uh, a part of the industry that was a big question mark for years and years and years and now with all this great media platforms we can dive more into yeah. that and, and the great thing about Ike live is that you can watch it you know you can listen to it or you can dial into it and watch the craziness sometimes that's going on or, or like you said you know kind of see the emotions of the uh, of the things that's going on on the show. So it's a lot of fun. Mike, I want to talk to you about doing your own thing. One of the things I respect most about Mike Iaconelli is he is Mike Iaconelli. There's there's nothing else like it. There's no imprint that's similar. You don't see where Mike has taken this off of something else. It's always something new and brand new. And I don't care what it is. Forget what's PC. You do what you do. How do you accomplish that and you know, I don't want to say stay out of trouble, but, you know, just keep pushing what Mike Iaconelli is and being able to do it in such a transparent way.
3: Yeah.
5: You know, it's a good question, Kurt. I I don't know that I have a great answer for it, except that I I feel like, um, there's kind of like two things at work, you know, and the one is how important it is in this sport and other sports in life, how important it is to be yourself. I think that's, one of the most important things you could do in your life, in your career, but certainly in fishing, being yourself, being your own brand, whatever that is, and sticking to it is one of the best things you can do. You know, uh, for sure. You know, twenty three, twenty four years in now in this sport. You know, when I look back, there are definitely things that. You know, you make mistakes. I'd like to go back and change a few things. I would do a few things over. But for the most part, the thing that I did right in my 23 years, 24 years of doing it is just being me and sticking through it, through the good and the bad. And, you know, that's being you, that's working through criticisms, that's just doing what you do. I think that's real important. I think, you know, everybody has a brand and it's who you are. And if you stick to that, that brand will shine and people will relate to it. People see the honesty in it. People can relate to you being yourself. Right. So that's the right. first part of it. And then, the, you know, the second part is, you know, in the timing of this right now with everything that's gone on in the world is real important, which is you have to do things in your career that push the envelope and you have to do things in your business and in your career that expand outside of your comfort zone. You know, and for me, that meant, not just being a tournament fisherman. You know, it's it's like, for sure, fishing tournaments is a great part of your business. But I never wanted that to be the only part of my business because if something happened there, if tournaments go away, if the tournament organization doesn't promote you, if something, whatever, then you're pigeonholed, you're stuck. And right. so it's always been very, very active goal of mine and Becky's, of course, too, to push the envelope, like you said, in different arenas in different ways, stretching the business in different directions, to not just have to be a tournament fisherman. That was always so important to me and like you guys have done, you know, with the show. Real, real conscious of that from day one. And um and again, we've had tried to have fun doing it. And not everyone stuck. You know, we we definitely have tried a lot of things over the years. But you know, Bash University, Ike Live, the Ike Foundation, Going Ike, you know, all these different platforms that if tournament fishing went away, look what we've got happening right now. We still have a business and we still have a career. You know, it's so
1: important. Very well. So let's follow that up real quick with television aspect. You know, some of the things that most people have seen you with our city limits fishing uh recently i think it was 2019 we saw everything on discovery channel with your new show how yeah. is the tv platform working i mean it looks successful at the same time it's hard to kind of continue a platform because really you're not looking for a box platform of fishing you're really going outside of the scope of just fishing and creating a lot of different lifestyle attributes in to it, to broaden the scope of the audience, um, but it's not an easy thing to accomplish. How's that working out? And do you have some ideas to continue yeah. pushing that forward in the future?
5: Yeah, that's a great question. and And for sure, you know, that's, a platform that we want to continue with. And, you know, you mentioned two of the ones that were very successful for us, of course, City Limits Fishing a long time ago, and then more recently, Fish My City. I'll say this, when you have a concept, when you have a show that is in the right place, it's fabulous and you can reach tons of people and people respond to it very well. City Limits Fishing, you know, you got to remember that was a long time ago. That was in the mid 2000s. It was when that TV model was very strong. Traditional TV model was very strong. And we had a great venue with that show. We were on, uh, uh, at the time, a show, a network called Versus, which had since been bought by NBC Sports. But we had a very captive audience of people that liked the outdoors, loved to hunt and fish, were sports addicts. It was a great place. And TV was strong. Traditional TV was strong then. Flash forward to Fish My City, and another great show, great concept. Had a lot of fun doing it. But the T V traditional T V models changing, it's starting to go away a little bit. And you know, Nat Geo Wild wasn't necessarily maybe the perfect venue for that kind of show. I think they said seventy percent of their viewers were women that were fifty to sixty years old. So you know, a little yeah, a little more of an uphill battle there with that audience. And again, I think, you know, traditional TV's changing. What you guys are doing, what we do with Ike Live through podcasting on multiple platforms, I think that's the way of the future. And that's where we're headed with our quote unquote TV model is to, you know, not have to fit in a box on traditional TV. You know, streaming services, in my opinion, is the wave of the future. And I think that's kind of where our minds at on taking the show. You know, whether it's going Ike or whether it's a hybrid of a city fishing show, you know, Netflix, Hulu. Google Plus. I mean, all the, these avenues. That's where TV's going, and that's where we we want to continue with that trend. And we want to go with it, you know.
1: Yeah,
2: great point. Great foresight. I always say, Mike, my daughters who are uh, sixteen and eight, they hardly know what a TV is, just because of the way that they receive yeah. the media and, and that kind of stuff. I I want to go back and, and yeah. kind of jump in, you know. Obviously, I've known you for a very long time, and and your career has always fascinated me because you came up through the Federation. You know, I went out and bought your book. I mean, everything. Ike there for years and years, and and following that that authenticity that you bring up it has. True and true. I mean, it it that is how you are defined, and you talk a lot about um, kind of fishing patterns, and in my opinion, many of today's anglers, and and perhaps myself included, have developed a kind of hoarding mentality of waypoints. You're one of the masters at the pattern fishing, and this is really a lost art for many young anglers today. Can you explain Mm -hmm. why pattern fishing is so important, and then your thought process of what pattern fishing means in detail for the listeners?
5: Yeah, pattern fishing is what you have to be able to grasp. Whether you're fishing fun fishing, fishing a local tournament, fishing a bass event, an MLS event an mlf cup you know pattern fishing fishing the moment is the most important thing that you can do and it's also the hardest because of human nature you know human nature is you want to fish history you want to fish old stuff right you want to fish things that worked before you've got 200 waypoints saved on kentucky lake up (laughs) and down the ledges and when you pull up your waypoints on your screen, you know, your instinct is, Oh, I remember. Yeah, 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 that that spot and you run to that waypoint and you fish that waypoint. You go to the next and you go to and the, and the history dictates your day.
3: It's it's kind of like and going to
2: a Def Leppard concert, and there's people that dress up because it's the period that they remember. But there's people that stuck and still dress like those people <laughs> on a daily basis. It's kind of what you're it's saying. Good,
5: it's a good analogy. Yeah, it's a good analogy. You can get caught in your ways and and get that stuck a in a rut. Terrible
2: analogy.
1: <laughs> uh,
5: no, I like I cause I like Def Leppard. I thought it was a good analogy. Um, it, it, it's uh It's real easy to get caught in that trap. And I still do it. Like just this year, I've had one of the worst starts to a season I've ever had in my life. And when I when I analyze it, I can look back now at the couple of events we've had and I say, Man, I tried to fish history too much. And that history wasn't from years ago. It was just from a few days ago in practice, but I didn't let go enough. My two best days this year in major league fishing, I had a day at Eufaula that was unbelievable, and I had a day at Lake Fork, it was unbelievable. I just went fishing because the first day I tried to push what I found in practice and I was stubborn and it didn't work. The two great days I've had this year, I just went fishing. You know, man, that's pattern fishing. Its essence of pattern fishing is just that. You know, it's it's fishing what's in front of you. It's being open-minded, fishing from six inches of water to 60 feet. And it's getting that first bite and it's analyzing that first bite. It's believing that a bite happens for a reason. It's almost never a random act. There's a reason for that bite. So when you get it, taking that bite, pulling the pieces from it, saying why, what, when, where, depth, clarity, when, presentation, what did I do? And then it's duplicating and going to the next thing that looks like that, the next thing, the next thing. And that is the magic. That's, you know, when you start to operate like that, that's when it starts to click. You know, you see these anglers that have been so good for so many years, Van Dam and Skeet and, and more recently a Jacob Wheeler, a Justin Lucas. They're really, 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 really good at letting go and fishing what's in front of them, not being scared to start over. That's pattern fishing. And when you get good at that, you just get good.
1: Great samples right there. Let's take that concept of pattern fishing. Let's try for the listeners to describe, you know, let's go over kind of a scenario, right? So you think of rivers, early May, East Coast, break down what your thought process would be from a general bass behavioral pattern. And then would you pick certain patterns based on that to begin generating clues and starting to execute the fishing process to develop a pattern?
5: Yeah. So that's a great question, which is, you know, my first response was you just fish what's in front of you. And that's a little general. For sure, leading up to the event, you know, I put myself in a place where I'm mentally thinking about it and I try to narrow the window before I get there. Right. So, you know, I'm driving to the Potomac River. I haven't been there in a long time, uh, especially this time of the year. But as I'm driving there, I try to think about prevalent conditions, and more importantly, seasonal pattern. They're two of the things that you definitely want to think about before you get to the fishery. So, you know, from a seasonal pattern perspective, I always break it down into four categories, right? There's winter, there's spring, there's summer, and there's fall. And those fish will generally do very similar things during those same seasonal patterns, no matter where you're at. So I'm thinking about that. So I'm on 95, I'm driving south. I'm saying, man, tidal river, I know this temperature, we've been in the 50s here, we've had some a little cooler nights, we've had some warmer days, but I know we're in a spring pattern, we're in a pre-spawn pattern. When I get there, I, I'm going to assume that water temperatures in the 50s, I know that. So that eliminates a lot of stuff. And I want to stress to your listeners that elimination is just as important as finding stuff sometimes more important, right? So on the tidal Potomac, I can rule out certain things knowing that the water is going to be in the 50s, knowing that it's a pre-spawn pattern. You know, I'm not looking for main river grass flats because that grass ain't even up yet, right? Right, right. (laughs) That's not a summer pattern, right? This is going to be a pre-spawn pattern. And, you know, pre-spawn, you can say to yourself, what does that mean? It means fish that are moving from their wintering spots, they're staging, they're moving from wintering spots, they're heading to where they're going to spawn. So I'm thinking now, man, where do fish spawn in the Potomac River? Man, that's easy. Look at a map. They spawn in pockets and creeks. They spawn in harbors. They spawn in places where the current's not ripping, flatter areas. So I look at that map. Oh, my gosh, there's Chickamonks and Creek. Look at that. There's the back of Matterwoman. There's the spoils. There's Broad Creek. There's all these places that are spawning places. And then I go in there saying, all right, now – where do I? I got to find them staging heading that way. So, again, for sure, I don't advocate just, unless you're fun fishing, I don't advocate just showing up and fishing what's in front of you. You okay. try to eliminate in your mind and you try to focus more on seasonal pattern and current conditions. And when you do that, you're a little more focused and you're going to be able to find the fish a lot quicker. Perfect. (laughs)
1: Great scenario. Guys, we're going to take a quick stop in the action. Power pole down. Man, I'm enjoying having Mike with us on today's show. Hang tight. Bass Edge Radio will be back in a moment.
4: Patented in 2000. Perfected over years of testing and real world punishment. The Power Pole is the ultimate shallow water boat positioning tool. Swift PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong current or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole. Swift. Silent. Secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you.
2: Bass Edge Radio presented in part by Lawrence Electronics. Returns with MLF, BPT, Pro Angler, Mike Iconelli and the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. That's right. Lucas Oil high-performance marine products for oil that surpasses all manufacturer's requirements. Be sure to visit the BassEdge.com store for free shipping. It works. Mike, I want to uh, revisit the scenario that uh, we kind of ended there before break on pattern fishing. You know, typically in your part of the country, perhaps mid-June, we'll start uh, the post-spawn cycle. What patterns come to mind that begin your search for the bass?
5: You know, pattern fishing, you know, again, if you think about it from a standpoint of having a handle on seasonal pattern definitely makes it easier because it points you in a direction. But post-spawn to me is a lot like pre-spawn, which is, you know, fish that are moving and the pre-spawn they were moving toward the spawning places. So, again, knowing spawning places was so key in the pre-spawn. In the post-spawn, it's opposite. In the post-spawn, they're moving out of the spawning places, and they're moving to where they're going to their summer pattern. So, you know, you always hear it, these fish that are transitional, fish that are moving. And when they move through seasons, finding their routes is so important. So in the post-spawn, it's just opposite. I want to know where they're spawning. I want to know those spawning places, but I want to look the other way. I want to look out. I want to look away from the spawning flat, out toward the main body, the main river, the main lake, whatever, and say, where are those fish going? And that's so important in the post-spawn, you know, especially for the bigger fish, especially for the females, because it happens with that group quicker than the males. You know, when the fish are spawning, those eggs hatch, the males are responsible sort of for hanging around for a little bit, right? They got a couple weeks where they got to hang out with their babies. But then females start moving really, really quick, and they start heading toward their summer pattern. So, you know, to me, the post-spawn is about places where they're stopping on the way out of the spawning flats. And a lot of times that's a change in the bottom. It's a change in cover. You know, it's it's a break line. It's a point. It's something that sticks out. It's an edge of grass. It's change. You know, that's how they move out, you know, as they stop along those change periods. And I can't think of maybe outside of the fall. I can't think of a better time in the post-spawn to find that needle in the haystack, that magic spot. When I think about my, some of my best days fishing, where I've caught 50 fish in one little spot, it's been during the post-spawn because they tend to gang up. They tend to find a place like that, a secondary point on the way out of a pocket, and then females will group up, and they'll stop there as they're heading out. And, you know, throwing a crankbait, throwing a Carolina rig, throwing a topwater, for sure. Some of my best days in my life, have come in the post-spawn.
1: Mike great scenario on how the mind approaches a fishery you know prior to actually making some casts because it's so important but at the same time there's different approaches you even alluded to it a little bit earlier you know if you're going fun fishing you just drop the boat maybe you drop the troller and and you're you're on your way you're plucking around down the back right (laughs) and then and then there's also the approach of you know okay you're driving down 95 and you're thinking about these spawning locations or post-spawn locations and then you're you're dissecting in your mind some starting points you know, that will help provide you some feedback of how to continue forward. For tournament angling, the pattern fishing scenario, for the general weekender guy, is he he good to just show, you know, he hasn't been fishing. You know, he only gets to fish once a month, right? So, you know, he gets out there, he drops the troller, he's, you know, 55, 60-degree water temps, and he starts rolling around a DT6. I know, one of your favorite baits, right? (laughs) So, so he's, he's rolling around a DT6, and... Is it better for him, you know, he wants to catch fish or she wants to catch fish. The angler wants to catch bass. What would you say is the best approach on that? Is it to analyze and, and move into that pattern section or just fish a cove, fish an area of the lake? If you get a couple bites, try to reproduce that in the next cove or the next area of the lake. How do you think is the best overall process for an angler that gets maybe a day a month? to go, they want to catch fish, right? But at the same time, they don't have time to do all the research and what's your thought process through all that mess?
5: Yeah. I mean, that's a great question too. And um, you know, there's, a lot of, I'd say a majority of people, probably majority of your listeners are in that boat, right? They're not yeah. hardcore tournament guys. They get more limited fishing time, but they want to catch fish in those yeah. opportunities. So right. I'd say it's a combination of both things that you said and, and a combination of what we talked about, which is, man, at the end of the day, you know, you want to have fun and it should be a fun day and you don't want to be too stressed out. But at the same time, I think, thinking a little bit about generally what we just talked about is important even for the guy that fishes once a month, the weekend angler, the avid angler. It's important to think about it, you know, just to put yourself in a ballpark. And on a big fishery, I'm a big believer in picking a part of the lake and not trying to be overwhelmed, you know. I can remember vividly, vividly, man, being, you know, grew up in New Jersey. Big lake here was 1,500 acres, 2,000 acres, When I got to Kerr Reservoir, (laughs) a.k.a. Bugs Island for the first time, which is about a six-hour drive from my house, I looked around, and I thought, oh, my God, and I felt intimidated. I felt my gut just tightened up, and I felt like I'm never going to find them, and I think a lot of weekend anglers have that same feeling uh, on a new place. Man, absolutely, I'm a big advocate of picking a section of the lake because every section of that lake, you take Kerr Reservoir in Virginia, for example, you know, the upper end, the middle end, the lower end, they all have fish in them, Nutbush, Don't get overwhelmed. Pick an area of the lake and then pattern fish and then let the fish tell you what to do, you know, um, you know, start in little Nutbush, start in the back, work your way out, try to get a bite. You get that bite, take that picture with your cell phone. Everybody's going to do it. But before you let that fish go, say, why did I just get that bite? What just happened there? Try to put a reason to it. I think for a lot of anglers, the beauty of fishing is not just the catch, but it's the puzzle. And when you get good at solving the puzzle, it becomes a lot easier to do it again. You know, it's not random. It's not lucky. Out of 10 trips, I caught them once because I got lucky. Stop thinking like that. You know, when you take a trip and you get a bite, why did you get that bite? You know? And then when you analyze and say, oh, it was this plus this, and it was this kind of bank. Let me try it again and then you you catch them again. That's you solving the puzzle. And the more you get better at doing that, man, the easier it becomes. That's true whether you're a tournament guy or whether you fish twice a year. Getting better at that makes fishing funner, you know?
1: I think sometimes it's intimidating to anglers. You know, they they think, well, they've got to have this huge thought process, but really it's just some basic fundamentals, like you described. You know, it's great to hear your thought process when you're, you know, headed to, you know, a body of water in this time of year, and this is the thoughts that go through your mind because I think what happens a lot of times so somebody gets a bite at Bugs Island when they're down there and they haven't been and they get that bite and they say oh great and they take a picture and they just keep cruising down the back and, and they don't just yeah. take just a moment was it a point was it a willow tree was it a buck brush what, yeah. you, know, you know those kinds of little scenarios that can just lead to that much better of a day so well, so Kurt, um, let, me, let yeah. me ask
2: you I want to throw out something to you and Mike Kurt you know yeah. I, I'm, I'm sitting. Sed- here and I think the analysis is just unbelievable that, that Mike is providing. But I also wonder, do you think that perhaps our bank fishermen and our kayak friends are kind of laughing as but like, you know, that's what we have to do. We have a limited area, you know, to be able I'd yeah. like to get you guys' thoughts on that. Yeah.
5: What you said is true. And and you know, a lot of anglers don't have a full size bass boat. They don't have a tracker. You know, they're in a kayak, they're in a canoe, they're bank fishing. And that that was me a lot too. And you're forced to utilize a lot smaller area your playing fields a lot smaller but don't get me wrong the process is the same the process is exactly the same when I've got my backpack on I've got only got two rods with me I'm doing the same exact thing that I would do in my full-size bass cat right I'm doing the same exact thing which is I'm trying to get a bite I'm eliminating water when I get that bite I'm saying why and it's the same exact thing. There may be fewer targets, there may be less places to run around, but the thought process is exactly the same. It's eliminating stuff, it's putting a reason why you caught that fish, why you got that bite, and it's duplicating it. A guy bank fishing, a lady angler in a kayak, a senior citizen in a tiny boat, they can all do the same thing, and that's Pattern fishing, you know, it's all the same. It's all the same thought process.
1: I'd be uh, crazy not to ask you a question about Lake Champlain. What I, I know one of your – close to heart fisheries, you know, up there in, in the Northeast and uh, fantastic place. I love it. Every time I get a chance to go up there, you've got two totally spectrums, right? I mean, uh, tossing back to, you know, you talked about Bugs Island a little earlier and in, in the upper end of the yeah. lake and the middle section, the lower end and all the different, different scenarios. And, and so this question relates to all those scenarios. You got the lower end of, of Champlain river system you know, it's uh, yeah. it's narrow, current is a factor there. Um, it not, not, current is a factor everywhere, but specifically they're really much more of a factor. And then, you know, you can go up to the upper end of the lake, you know, and, and it's more of a natural lake environment where, you know, it drops off a little bit steeper, a little bit quicker. What are the most important factors to consider when trying to locate better than average bass in each scenario? Take the river scenario first, maybe, and then then try to give us a scenario on the natural lake portion and you're looking to catch, let's say, a PB. What's important for you to dissect in that scenario?
5: Yeah, great questions. And Champlain is you know, I, I think not just for me, but I think if you surveyed 100 professional anglers, Champlain would be in their top five. Almost 90 of them would put Champlain in their top five. That's pretty spectacular. It's an amazing place. It's got small mouth and large mouth. It's beautiful. It's got so many different ways you can catch them. It's just one of those fisheries that's a, a standout. It's a gem. And it's diverse. And you mentioned two of them, right? The lower end of Champlain from Crown Point, you know, from the pinch down all the way to South Bay to the Lock and Dam, essentially, you've got a more stained water, flatter, shallower, more ravine environment. You've got the middle section of Lake Champlain, which is the most unfished part of Lake Champlain in the entire fishery, it's very deep, vertical, and not as many flats. And then you've got the upper end, which is sort of a combination of both of those things. And it does fish more like a natural lake. It's laid out. But you know, if I'm targeting big bass on Lake Champlain, I'm giving them both to you and one answer is going to stay the same and one will be different. Mm-hmm. For the lower end, you're dealing with expansive, expansive amounts of flats. And the one thing I'm always going to look for in those situations is change, a difference in the bottom, in the composition of the bottom. And on that lower end, because it's so flat and because there's so many miles of grass, I mean, it's like you could look down for five miles and it all looks the same. It's all, you know, eight to 12 foot millful and hydrilla for five miles. And you think, how do I find those fish? What's the key? And one answer there is change. On the lower end of Champlain, the change there is usually the bottom composition itself. The best places for big fish and numbers of fish I've ever caught down there is when you have a change in the bottom. That's a rock pile. It's a a little tiny drop. It's where the bottom composition makes a point. And when you have the change in the bottom, the grass will change. So if you have a rock pile, that grass isn't going to grow around the rock pile. It's going to make a little divot. If you have a little drop, the grass is going to grow different. It's going to maybe the millful stop. It'll turn to something else. That's key. So change is key. But on the lower end, the biggest bass I've ever caught in my life on the lower end of Lake Champlain have been in the thickest, gnarliest places you can fish. And the simple uh, reason for that, you know, is it gets a lot less pressure. You know, Ticonderoga gets so much pressure. It's, it's like the Gunnersville of, right. of New York. And, um, and it's you know,
1: down into a much smaller area, right?
5: <laughs> oh, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's, you know, it's, there's always boats out there fishing, but the common angler avoids the hard stuff to fish, the nastiest, thickest grass, the lay down that's so thick that you can't hardly get your bait in there. The biggest fish I've ever caught, I've caught in the thickest stuff, and a lot of times that means frogging or it means punching. It means getting a bait in that thick cover. You know, a, a one-ounce weight, a big three-quarter ounce black and blue jig, more recently a Tokyo rig with a big weight on it, and getting into the thick cover that other guys won't get into. So in the south end, it would be changing the bottom composition. It would be the thickest piece that you can imagine. In the upper end, the one thing stays the same, which is change. I still look for change up there, even though it's not as thick flat the upper end's got some deeper water the water's a little cleaner it's a little it's definitely different it's more of a natural lake environment i still look for change i still look for areas where the bottom changes and that's a rise in the bottom a drop in the bottom or of course pieces of cover that are down there you look at the upper end of champlain you find rock up there going to have fish on it you have the old bridge uh, railroad pilings you have All all these pieces of cover that change the bottom That's going to attract a lot of fish and it's going to attract some big fish. So that element stays the same. But up there, one of the things I do for big fish is I go deeper, not thicker, but I go deeper than everybody else. And that's for largemouth and smallmouth combined. Biggest smallmouth I've ever caught in Champlain have been out in 30 to 50 when everybody else is fishing 10 to 20. The biggest largemouth I've ever caught on Champlain, everybody's up flipping the pads in one to five foot of water. The biggest largemouth I've ever caught have come out of 8 to 15 feet of water, deeper than most largemouth guys that are fishing. So on the north end, looking for change, but also if I want a big fish, if I want my personal best largemouth or smallmouth, I need to get deeper. Than everybody else is fishing.
2: Well, and Mike, don't you think that what you just described can be applied with so many lakes across the country? You know, I think of one that I recently frequented, which is Bull Shoals. I mean, you know, that's a massive yep. impoundment. Everything. You go down the bank and you go back in some of those creeks that are three and four miles. And you know, they're lakes within a lake. Everything looks the same. So you have to use something that is creating that change, or or a, a lake that has a lot of boat docks. Is that fair to say?
5: Absolutely. I I think those two theories. You can use in any fishery in the world, not even just in the country, which is, you know, if you think about a big fish, if you think about larger than average fish on a place that's especially getting fished a lot, you have to be able to do something different. You have to fish a little different than the average angler. And a lot of times thicker or deeper are the two remedies for that. You know, Uh, bull shoals, you know, man, everybody's flipping those outside bushes, those green bushes go shallower. Go get into the shallowest, skinniest water you can get into and flip the thickest bush you can find. Or the opposite on bull shoals. You know, um, you don't see a lot of guys fishing way, way out there off the bank. Believe me, they're out there too. And that's often how you catch the biggest fish. The only other thing I would throw into that mix, and I get this question a lot, is the big bait, big bass theory, which I really do believe. You know, if I'm targeting specifically big fish, I'll often fish thicker like I said, I'll often fish deeper, but if I'm targeting big fish, I do believe in that theory of a big bait for big fish. So, you know, it's the one time when I go from traditional size baits and I really upsize. Throwing a little everybody's throwing a little 3-8 swim bait, man. I tie on a six inch or a seven inch or an eight inch. And and you know, you you see the guys in California that have been successful over the years, they're doing it in Japan. That theory is really, really good. If somebody's looking for a PB, fish thicker fish deeper, but also fish a big bait. And that's, you're, you're going to increase your odds dramatically.
2: Well while we're on the topic of size bass that is yeah, I I want to throw out kind of a uh, a funny question here Mike what is your take on the on the size of a better than average bass you know after all they're all good and they all seem to be giants and certainly you can make them look <laughs> differently with uh, with the camera but, but what's your thoughts on yeah. that? Yeah that's a poke
1: yeah.
3: there that's well a poke, you know right? I, I think... <laughs> every time
1: every time Michael said it
3: it's giant it's giant Yeah <laughs> yeah I think some of it's got to be has has to do with your perspective,
5: you know. So I think my perspective is probably different than a lot of people. A lot of your listeners are from Missouri and Texas and Louisiana and Florida, and you guys and girls listening right now, I'm going to tell you, you're spoiled. You're absolutely spoiled. <laughs> listen to me. I grew up fishing the Delaware River, and on the Delaware River a two-and-a-half-pounder, a a a two-and-a-three-quarter-pounder is an absolute giant. I swear. And I say that with all sincerity, right? So from my perspective, you know, when you catch something over two, two two-and-a-half pounds, it's honestly a big one. It really, really is, in in my opinion. Um, And then the other part, the other parts of that has got to be the tournament you're fishing, too, right? You know, last year in Major League Fishing, anything over one pound, that's 16 ounces, count it as a scoreable bass. So when you catch... A one and three quarter, a one fifteen. Dude, that's a big one. That's a giant. Yeah. That's a that's way better than sixteen ounces. And and yeah. you know, and that's that's part of it too. And I I want to throw one last thing in there is you know one of the things that I've done and, and you know I I this I don't see the first time I've ever talked about this when I fight a fish and I've done this since literally since I was a teenager you know I prepare myself for the moment. And I prepare myself for a big fish every time. And when you think like that, you fight that fish better. You take your time more. You're careful, right? So when I set the hook on a fish, and if I convince myself that it's a good one, it's a big one, I'm doing the things I need to do on that fight. I'm not taking that fight for granted. I'm not taking that fish for granted. I'm not being complacent and all of a sudden swinging a one and a half pounder when I shouldn't swing him. And he comes off. At the yeah. end of the day, when the weights are tallied up, I missed the top 20 by 7 ounces. I screwed myself. Right. I, I'm not doing that. I'm, 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 my mindset is, you know, this is a good fish. I need to get this fish in the boat. I need to land this fish. And so, honestly, the, the other parts of that is I play a little mind game with myself. That's and, cool. Because uh, I want to land that fish. I want to get that fish in the boat, you know?
1: Real quick, kind of off topic a little bit, but, you know, you mentioned it. Two-pound limit in the first couple, three, MLF events this year. I think we've seen a change in the tide a little bit in the development yeah. of MLF with the increased minimum pound average or minimum pound necessarily to be a scoreable bass in Florida and and Ufala and Lake fork, what's your thought process on that? What's your feeling as far as how the momentum and tide has moved in the MLF perspective with that. It really monumental change, right?
5: Yeah, it's yeah, a big change. Uh, one of the things that I do on Ike Live is I'm very honest. I'm going to be honest with you guys, too. I'm going to give you two perspectives on it. And the first one is, you know, this is a change that the anglers voted on, right? This is a change that happened because of a feeling that they had from the audience, from the fans, that right. this is something they needed to do. So from that perspective, I man, I'm going to do what that majority of those anglers vote, right? If the majority of the guys say, this is what we need to do. You know, next year we need to fish for four pounders. Let's go. Come on, man. If if that's a unanimous decision, it's one of the reasons major league fishing was started to give the anglers a voice and a say, and I'm all for that. So that's the first half of it. But the second half of it, and this is my personal opinion, is I don't like it. I don't like it. I think it was the wrong decision, you know, from, from a couple perspectives. You know, the one is major league fishing was started to be a unique Different format, a different circuit, and it was based on a couple premises. And the one was you know, every scorable fish counts. Every keeper counts, every legal right. fish. And in the beginning of MLF, if you go way back, it was the legal length of the fish. If yes. that particular lake, the, the keeper size was 12 inches, if it measured 12, you weighed it. I remember the first couple of years we were weighing 13 ounces. And I (laughs) I, I weighed a few of those, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I loved it. I think Major League Fishing stands out. It's different than bass or FLW because of that. And I think it appeals to people because of that, right? Step outside of the mode of hardcore tournament angler, hardcore fan for a second, bass fan, and think about the general public. You know, when the general public watches a BASS or an FLW event and they watch a guy fish all day and he only gets six bites he gets six bites that weigh 13 and a half pounds, eight hours of fishing for six bites. The average not hard It doesn't really hardcore entice bass them head. to
1: go, right? <laughs> it,
5: it's not that impressive. It, you know, it's not that impressive. It, it's slow. It's, man, anybody can do that. I remember when I bluegill fished with my dad in the 80s. I caught six in 30 minutes. These guys, caught, you know, so catching big numbers like that, watching Wheeler catch 70 fish to a non-hardcore basshead is very, very impressive. And I think it highlighted the sport. It highlighted the talents of these guys. So I don't like that they went away from that. I think they should have stayed the course. I think they bowed to trolls and pressure on the internet. I hate that. I don't like that they did that. You know, so I'm, I'm not a big fan of it, to be honest with you. I like it the other way. I think it's what made Major League Fishing different. I think it's what made Major League Fishing special, and I'm, I'm disappointed they
1: went in that direction. So are the 2020 cups that typically air you know a year later, so they'll air sometime in Q1, Q2 of 2021, will those go back to the pound minimum, or do you know at this point what the uh, functionality of the cup events will be for, that are fished in 2020?
5: Yeah, that's a great question, Kurt. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if they'll use the variable weight deal for the cups as well yeah they'll probably continue with that they'll probably say you know we're at a fishery where there's a lot of big bass so we're going to do a two pound minimum or we're at a fishery that's not very good for big ones so we're going to go to the one i think they're going to transfer the same system but i can't say that but it did bring up another point i want to mention real quick which is the mlf cups are to me the ultimate form of fishing and that's if in a perfect world I was in control of major league fishing. It'd be every legal fish counts. And you ready for this? Every event, even the the Bass Pro Tour events would be no practice. Right. And Thanks. that to me, that to me is the ultimate in tournament fishing. That's where major league fishing separates itself from other organizations. You don't get practice. You, you get to do what we talked about in the beginning of this call you want to separate the guys that are natural fishermen, pattern fishermen that can figure it out on the fly from the guys that spent a month there before it cut off. You want to get rid of that stuff, eliminate practice. You know, yep. that's the ultimate, in my opinion, that's the ultimate form of tournament fishing.
1: It's To your point, and I don't want to belabor, you know, getting into this a whole lot, but, uh, you know, when you play basketball down the block, you know, at the high school gym, it's a 90-foot court. The rims are 10 feet high. You go to um, the NBA, and it's a 90-foot court. The rims are 10 feet high. And and just like we talked about earlier with the weekend angler, he doesn't have an opportunity to go out there and practice for two or three or four days before he goes out there and right. sees how many fish he can catch. I mean, that's, that's not a practical scenario. So um, I feel like it is more uh, representative of what the fan deals with, what the average angler deals with. And he can relate to it. Even though I can't relate to what LeBron is doing when he's jumping over top of the backboard and throwing it through the hoop, I can walk down to my local park and see a 10 foot rim and be like, holy Toledo, dude's getting up. Right. (laughs) You know, so it's, uh,
5: it's relatable. I agree. I agree, and and again, you know, I I don't the the other thing is I'm not knocking bass or not knocking FLW either, but I I like that diversity. I think there should be organizations where you get some practice time. But again, to me, the the beauty of major league fishing was always, you know, I love those cups. I love the fact that there was no practice. Go figure it out on the fly. I've been on both sides of the line. I've had days where I totally missed it, and I scratch my head and I say, how did these guys figure it out? And I've had days where I was able to figure it out on the fly in a place I've never been. And I love that. Uh, To me, it's the most self-satisfying feeling to go figure them out on a place you've never been against the best anglers in the world that have never been there as well, that just have to fish on the fly. That's the ultimate to me.
3: Great perspective,
1: Mike. We're going to go into the listener question. This segment of the show is presented by Nitro Performance Bass Boats. We get a lot of questions here at the show. I thought this one was right down your alley, Jason Richardson out of Stockton, California. He's talking about fishing small lakes. You got a lot of small lakes in Jersey. I always see you on on your YouTube and and through you know your social stuff that you're fishing these little hidden gems up there in Jersey. And uh, here's Jason's question. I think it's right down your alley. I mainly. Fish lakes in my neighborhood. They're man-made back in 1993. He 99% uses grass, punch and jig for most everything as a lot of things just get getting caught up in the grass. He loves jigging a lot, but what are truly other weedless options available to him on a side note? You know, he's tried spinner baits, that type of thing. They're always getting gooked up, right? So what, yeah. Jason's yeah. want to know some techniques he can utilize in these types of small water environments that, that uh, have a lot of grass and yeah. that uh, slimy, slimy snot grass. Yeah, it, right? it sounds exactly
5: like all the lakes in New Jersey, especially in South <laughs> Jersey here. It's uh, very, very similar. Seriously, you know, most of our lakes are 10 acres to 90 acres. Uh, most of them, deep water is six, eight feet in most of these lakes. And by default, you have a lot of grass emergent, but you also have a lot of slime kind of grass. We actually, in this part of the world, we call it black death because it's this black sort of (laughs) algae slime that's very hard to get any bait through. So he mentioned one for sure he's punching, which gets through that grass. It gets through it and under it. And that's a great technique. And I'm sure he's catching fish on that. But the two others that pop to my mind are to get above the grass or to fish a weightless bait, a weightless soft plastic. And that's, that would be my number one answer would be a weightless soft plastic, you know, and, and, The beauty of that too is every soft plastic shape you can imagine, you can fish weightless. You know, a soft stick bait for sure is probably the most known, Uh, you know, a a Berkeley general, a a Senko style lure, but a crawl, a boot tail swim bait, a ribbon tail worm to actually fish those baits with no weight. And, you know, essentially the only weight on that is going to be the hook itself. You're going to have to change your equipment a little bit because you're going to have to go to generally lighter action rods, lighter tip, lighter line to help you throw that bait. So maybe a spinning rod, maybe a lighter action casting rod, but a weightless lure really sort of falls slow in that zone and doesn't let that black death get attached to it, doesn't adhere to it. So weightless plastics or to go above the stuff, to stay on top, and that would be your top water's especially when the the algae is matted, it would be your frog-style baits. And, you know, there's a lot of those out there too. So it's not just a spro, Dean Rojas spro frog. It's, you know, the different shapes, the different types. It's buzzing frogs. It's walking-style baits. There's a lot of hollow-bodied topwaters that will go over that stuff, and the fish will respond to that. Pretty good too.
2: Great response, Mike. Appreciate you helping tackle Jason's question. Jason, we do need one more thing from you, and that is to let us know that you heard Mike answer your question here on episode 327. And you can simply do that by going to bassedge.com, clicking on the claim your prize tab, fill in the personal information. And we will get the Bass Edge gift sent directly to you.
1: And always a reminder Bass Edge listeners send in those questions to the show via our website, bassedge.com. Just simply click the tab, ask the pros, gives you a little contact form there. Fire in those questions. We will get them on the air as many as possible. You can also email us support at BassEdge.com or leave us a comment in our social Facebook, Instagram or Twitter media pages.
2: Well, Mike, I got to say, you know, certainly it's an understatement uh, to say that it was fun getting back together on the show and and reconnecting. But I also want to throw out there, you know, I think just given the times that we're in, I I just want to make sure it goes with you understanding kind of the impact that you've had on so many that's out there. You know, I look at, at other sports from the great Lake Kobe Bryant to many others that, that have been out there and doing things that's just beyond both on and off the water. And certainly you are one of those individuals. You're just such a consummate professional and ambassador for the sport. We certainly appreciate all you've done and certainly appreciate you carving out time to be with us here on the show today. Any final uh, thoughts or, or closing comments as we begin to shut down?
5: Yeah, well, I appreciate being on the show. Please, guys, let's not wait another four years or whatever it was. <laughs> I'd love to come back on on yes. Again, sooner, but um, uh, honestly, thank you, thank you for what you said. Uh, y- you know, it's it's been fun for me. It's every day do- doesn't feel like work. I'm doing something I love to do. I'm real lucky. I've wanted to fish since I was a kid, and I get to do it or talk about it every day. So I'm really, really, really lucky. But the one thing I want to leave you with is to all the listeners, the biggest thing you can do to help grow the sport, even during these times right now, even if you know we're dealing with a global pandemic, there's strange, weird times. The biggest thing you could do to grow the sport is to get kids involved in, in fishing, you know, take some time out, take your kid fishing, take your neighbor fishing, you know, after all this is said and done, get involved in local kids fishing events. Uh, Kurt, you know, better than anybody, you do a great job of it. Sure. Um, taking kids, fishing, getting new kids involved in the outdoors and, and fishing. That's the way you're going to grow the sport. That's the best legacy you can leave on the sport of fishing. You know, forget about the trophies, Forget about the money, forget about the bragging rights, forget about all that. If you get new people involved in the sport, if you get kids involved in the sport, you've done a good thing. So I invite everybody listening to Take Kids Fishing.
1: Great advice, Mike. Thanks. It's always good catching up with you, man. It's It seems like we've been running into each other every, every so often, and I feel lucky to be able to uh, see you around the block here and, and uh, look forward to seeing you again soon, of course. Bass Edge Nation, hang in there. Aaron and I will return right after this message.
0: Know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat, MegaWare Keel Guard? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do it yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also, for MegaWare Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, Flex Step Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So, give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick MegaWare Keel Guard. Patented in
4: 2000, perfected over years of testing and real world punishment, the Power Pole is the ultimate shallow water boat positioning tool. Swift. PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong current or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole. Swift. Silent. Secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you.
1: Aaron deep breath deep breath that was a fantastic just stretch of knowledge right and uh, super appreciate Mike being with us on the show I'll admit you know I know Mike pretty well and it's tough to get him because the dude stays constantly busy but uh, I'm so glad that he was able to spend another episode with us here at uh, Bass Edge Radio and love to talk about pattern fishing again you know often forgot and uh, Mike helped us break it down in a couple of cool scenarios there. And uh, you can take these tips and tactics and really, Aaron, mindsets, right? And utilize them to become a better and more consistent angler and an angler that is targeted in what they are trying to accomplish.
2: No doubt and you know one of the things that always resonates with me Kurt is that he doesn't just provide lip service for the bank fisherman or perhaps the person in the kayak. He lives it. I mean that's one of the things that he absolutely loves to do. He's good at it and so I just think it's one of those episodes to where it's the information that carries the show in this case and it can be applied in so many ways and certainly his transparency and authenticity are uh, just second to none. I truly am glad like you said that he was able to take time and carve out time to be with us here on Bass Edge. Another thing that I'm appreciative of is our listeners carving out time. Certainly, there are many, many options out there, and hopefully uh, we're able to bring just a bit or a piece of education a nugget if you will that helps you be a better angler while you're out there on the water in the meantime stay up on all things Bass Edge by going to BassEdge.com through the store the videos the articles and certainly through our social media but uh, we hope you are well and look forward to episode 328 which will be May 15th in two weeks in the meantime get out on the water enjoy time with your family stay safe be well for Kurt Dove I am Aaron Martin so long everybody
0: Edge is presented by Megaware Keelguard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com and be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Nitro Boats, Lucas Oil, ProtectTheHarvest.com, Mercury Marine, Lawrence Electronics, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com.